Well, it is my pleasure to bring part three of our current series, Dear Church, to you guys today. And I just want to start off by asking a question. Is anyone here a big fan of Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace? Throw my hand up. I absolutely love using Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace. I've used Kijiji for you know, a long time. I've used Facebook Marketplace for less time because it's a little newer. But I absolutely love getting deals on things. I, I love finding a bargain. I love selling things and reselling things, trying to make a few bucks off of things that I've purchased. You know, ever since high school, I've always been searching for deals online on Kijiji and, you know, more recently, Facebook Marketplace. You know, I'll sell all kinds of music equipment, buy all sorts of music equipment. I have guitars, amplifiers, pedals, cameras, all kinds of stuff. I remember one time, this was, I don't know, probably three, three-ish years ago. I, I, there's just a few items that, you know, I, I would always just keep an eye on, you know, it's just something that I, I've always wanted to have. So I'll just keep searching up on, on online and just, just keep, you know, every week or twice or three or seven times every week, searching that item up and just seeing if a really good deal pops up for me to come in and be like, I got that. One of these items was a Martin acoustic guitar. I'd always wanted one. They're fairly expensive. You know, the kind of starting price is just a little over a thousand dollars. They can go really expensive depending on, on the model you get. But, you know, I, I just always, every few weeks ago, just make sure I search Martin acoustic guitar, just see if any crazy deals pop up. And one night I was doing my you know, Kijiji scroll just before bed. And I, I searched Martin acoustic guitar and I saw this one, uh, one ad and it didn't have a price or anything. And normally I don't respond to ones that don't have prices, but it just said message for better offer. I was like, what are you saying? So I was just like, you know what? Let's just see what happens. I sent the person a message is like, Hey, what are you asking for, for this guitar? And they responded like right away. They're like, uh, $700. I was like, Ooh, that's actually, it, it, it was a good deal. 700 is a decent deal for that guitar, but I did not have $700. So I would not be buying that guitar, but I had a few items that I was looking to sell that were worth, you know, about that an electric guitar and an amp. So I, I sent him a message. I was like, Hey, I hate to be this person, but like, would you be willing to trade for an electric, electric guitar or a bass amp? And, and they respond back right away. They're like, no, not really, but do you want a better price? I was like, no, no, I, I really want to spend a lot of money. And obviously, obviously I would like a better price. Uh, so I said, sure, what are you thinking? And he responds back by saying, how about 500? And here at this point, I'm like, 500, that is more than half off for this guitar, for this specific model. That is a really good price, plus no tax. Ooh, that, that's a good price. That's, you know, th that's something maybe, maybe I, I talk to Haley about that and see, you know, if we can make that work, because I'll probably never get that deal offered to me ever again. 
But, you know, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm about to go to sleep. Haley's already asleep. I'm definitely not going to wake her up and be like, hey, Haley, can I buy a guitar for $500 tomorrow? Because the answer for that is no at that point for sure. Um, and I was just like, you know what? I'll, I'll just leave this. I'll, I'll talk to Haley about it tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss and, and we'll see if, if it seems like a financially reasonable thing for us to do. Um, and you know, I'll just worry about it tomorrow. So I, I put my phone down. I put my head on the pillow and I'm just trying to fall asleep and I just hear my phone one more time. I was like, well, let's check. And I look and the guy, just, I hadn't even responded. It's been like maybe 15 minutes and he just responds back saying, how about 350? At this point, I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, this is more than a third, like this is, this is more than two thirds off. That's an incredible price. Um, I'll still talk to Haley about it tomorrow, but I think I'm just gonna say yes and try and set up a meeting tomorrow. And if, if we decide that it's no, then I'll just say, sorry, I'm not doing it. But I think 350, I think that that's, that's something I just go for. So I responded saying, yeah, I can do 350. Um, you get to meet up tomorrow. And he's like, yeah. How about 11 o'clock or whatever we, at, at this point, I'm like, that's a really low price. I might be getting murdered. So I made sure I, I met up at a Tim Hortons rather than going to the guy's house. I was at this point a little like weirded out. Like maybe this guitar is stolen. Maybe I'm going to take it in to, to get work done on it at Long and McQuaid or something sometime. And they're going to tell me, Hey, this guitar was stolen. We're taking it back. And then I'll just be out $350 and lose the guitar. So, you know, I met this guy at Tim Hortons. I called Long and McQuaid with the guitar in my hand, read them the serial number, said, hey, is this guitar stolen? They're like, no, it was bought on this day by this person. And that was exactly what the guy had told me. So I was like, sure, I'll, I'll buy it. It was incredible, my favorite guitar. Still play it today. But I love searching for deals online. Lately, I've been doing a lot more selling than purchasing though. I've got, was a little bit of a collector in high school. I've got a lot of stuff that I don't really use, things that I don't need, things that take up space and tired of having all that space taken up and would rather have money. So I've just been selling things online, trying to create a little bit of extra cash, free up some space in the house. And you know, one thing I'd always stayed away from when selling was deals that weren't in person. You know, if somebody was like, hey, would you be willing to ship this item? I would just say, no, sorry, not interested. Not really down to do that. And that was until just the other week. Two weeks ago, I, I was selling a couple of guitar pedals and somebody was like, hey, I'll give you what you're asking. Would you ship it to North Bay? And I was like, normally I don't do that, but you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll give it a try. He'll just e-transfer it to me. You know, there's not really any risk on my part. So, you know, I, I went for it. The guy you transferred me the money, I, I had that in my bank account and it's gonna go ship it out tomorrow. But I did come across this moment where I realized I have both the items and the money right now. I have all the power in my hands. You know, there, there's, there's really not much stopping me from just closing this Kijiji account, packing it up and I, I could keep both, you know, it's 
maybe I'd get caught, but also maybe it's, it's pretty reasonable that I could probably get away with this. But, you know, that is where integrity comes in. You know, moments where, you know, nobody's really there to stop you from doing a wrong thing. Moments where it's secretive, nobody would know, but you still choose to do the right thing anyway. Now, obviously in that situation, I, there's no way I was going to keep the pedals. I was definitely going to ship them to North Bay the whole time. And I probably could have gotten in a lot of trouble if I decided to be a jerk about that. But most people will do you know, the right thing when a, there's a reasonable chance of getting caught. But it's what you do when there's no chance of getting caught that shows your true character and whether you have integrity or not. Integrity is following your convictions even when there's no negative consequences to not following them. And we all face situations like this all of the time. You know, there's times at work where, you know, maybe there's something where you can kind of bend the rule just to get ahead a little bit, or, or you could be a little dishonest to, to make a gain and nobody would ever know. Or maybe it's something as simple as you emptied out the coffee pot and the rule is if you empty it out, you fill it up, but nobody's around, nobody sees you. You could just put that coffee pot right back there, walk away, save yourself five minutes. Nobody would know. But being a person of integrity is, you know, not doing that thing. It's filling, it's remaking a new pot of coffee, even when nobody would know that you finished it off. It's not lying or cheating or doing deceitful things to get ahead, even when you know you could get away with it. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's even more enticing than, you know, there being no negative consequences to getting caught. Usually, there are very positive incentives that tempt us to betray our convictions. You know, you save five minutes if you don't fill up the coffee maker, but if I didn't chip those pedals, I would be up $400 and I'd still have the pedals to sell later. Sometimes, those incentives can be quite tempting. But this temptation to compromise who we are as followers of Christ is not a new thing. In Revelation, John records seven letters to the major churches of the Roman province of Asia from Jesus himself. These, these are Jesus' words to these churches, encouraging them, teaching them, providing some correction. And in the third letter, which is the letter to the church of Pergamum, this is exactly what the Christians there are dealing with. A little bit of background to the, the city of Pergamum and the church there before we jump into what the letter says. You know, Pergamum was the capital of the Roman province of Asia in the first century. That capital later moves to Ephesus, but at this point in time, Pergamum is the capital of this Roman province. The city would sit in modern-day Turkey today, and it was located just on, off the coast of the Aegean Sea, which made it a really good trading city. It had good access. Good. It was a wealthy city. It was a business city. It had a lot going on. Pergamum was the northernmost city of the seven cities that these letters in Revelation were written to. And there's also evidence 
of a strong Jewish population in this city at this time. So the believers there would have been aware of the Hebrew scriptures. They would have been familiar with them. There would have been a lot of Jewish Christians present in Pergamum. The church in Pergamum was also likely planted out of the church in Ephesus that Paul planted, another one of the churches that is written to in Revelation. And this letter begins in Revelation 2, verse 12. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. You can read along. Revelation 2, verse 12 says, Write this letter, this is Jesus speaking, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp, with the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus introduces himself very differently in each of these letters. To the church in Pergamum, he you know, introduces himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Elsewhere in the New Testament, also later on in this letter, the sword is used to refer to the word of God. It's used to refer to truth. And so in Jesus emphasizing and in introducing himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword, he is saying, I am the one with the truth. I am the one who, the truth is important to me, that this is gonna be important to the letter that I'm writing to you. So keep this in mind, the truth matters. I am the truth. Carrying on in verse 13, he says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you here in Satan's city. Pausing there, it's clear that the church in Pergamum has faced persecution, and Jesus celebrates their loyalty through this persecution. You know, somebody in that church was killed for their faith, and that's pretty pretty brutal. The people are dying in Pergamum for being Christians, and but the church in Pergamum is staying loyal to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, "Good job, keep staying loyal. You guys are doing great." But he also mentions that this city is the location of Satan's throne. It's a big statement. See, Pergamum was a very religious city. The Greek religion was very prevalent there. There, there were many temples, many patron gods of the city, and the city had a strong mythology around its founding, rooted in the Greek gods. It was said that some of the Greek gods had began the city themselves. It had a very strong mythos around it. But Pergamum, being this, the capital of the province of Asia in the Roman Empire, was also the center of the imperial cult at the time. Now, in Rome, the emperor was deified, which means that the emperor was worshipped as a god. And the imperial cult is the, the practice of worshipping the emperor. Each of the cities that are written to in Revelation, every seven, every one of the seven churches that are written to is located in a city that had a temple dedicated to emperor worship. It was a thing in every single one of these places. But in Pergamum, it was a huge deal. Being the capital city, it was the center of Roman life in the province of Asia. It was the place where emperor worship was the biggest. It was the place where emperor worship was a serious deal, a huge temptation. There was incentives to being a part of that. 
But because of the persecution that came from Rome on the church, this is likely what Jesus is referring to when he calls Pergamum Satan's city and the place where Satan has his throne. So this is the place where Rome is rooted in this area. And he's encouraging them for staying loyal through that hardship. But not everything Jesus has to say about this church in Pergamum is good. He does have some qualms. He does have some ways that they could improve. So continuing in verse 14 through to the end in verse 17, he says, But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is that is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have, done, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who hears with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give each one a white stone, and the stone will be engraved with a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. We see in this letter that while the church here in Pergamum has been loyal to Jesus through persecution, they've started to compromise on some of their ideals. There are some things that are part of, of the way of following Jesus. They're, they're, they're convictions that have started to be you know, not practiced, not taken seriously. Things that, you know, it could just be a little thing here, a little thing there that leads to bigger and bigger problems in this church. See, the culture that they exist in is very different from the lives that they are called to live. And because of such a strong presence of both Greek and emperor worship in this city, there would be a huge pressure for them to fit in. There would be a societal pressure, you know, just social, like getting along with people, meeting people. You know, people would, would meet people at the temple. People would socialize at these events that they shouldn't be at because they're not supposed to practice emperor worship or worshiping the Greek gods. But part of this pressure, in addition to just the massive social pressure, would have been a pressure that comes from the marketplace. See, if you did not participate in emperor worship at certain points in time in the, in the empire, you would not be welcome in the markets. If you didn't participate in emperor worship at some points, you wouldn't be able to buy and sell you would be marked different from the rest of society. You would be an outcast. You would not be welcomed in. So not only would there have been that social temptation to compromise their convictions, but a very real financial temptation as well. A temptation that has an impact on their livelihood and their ability to put food on the table and provide an income to support their families and loved ones. But Jesus is calling them to stay true to God in the midst of all of this idolatry. 
Jesus reminds them that his word, the sword of his mouth, is both true and powerful, and it's not worth bending to the temporary whims of their culture for anything, that there is a reward that is greater than the reward they receive for abandoning their convictions that awaits them. So he's calling them to stay true to God in the midst of idolatry. In the example of the Church of Pergamum, it's easy to see that the alternative to living in alignment with God is idolatry because the alternative was literal religious practices. They were practices that had actual religious significances and were tied to other religions. But we also need to stay true to God in the midst of idolatry as well. Idolatry is not just religious stuff that draws us away from God. You know, idolatry is anything that we put ahead of God in our lives. Idolatry is any time we compromise our values and what we know we ought to do for any reason. And this happens far more than we realize. Just like the church in Pergamum had immense pressure to participate in the Greek religion, especially in the imperial cult, to you know stay in the loop, to have those, those personal connections, to have friendships, as well as to do business and make a living in the city. We have many ways in our lives that we're tempted to compromise who we are and who we, how we are called to live for social reasons, to get ahead in our jobs, to be involved in to be important and involved in our communities and to be financially in the place that we want to be or, or even just to keep up, not even to get ahead. Maybe you're in business and there are certain practices that aren't exactly the way that God would want you to do things. They might be normal things, but not the way that God would want you to do. Maybe it's the way employees are treated and compensated in, in certain industries. Maybe the way books are kept Maybe it's the amount of taxes that are reported on. Maybe, maybe there's dishonesty there. Maybe it's practices used to get jobs and contracts that are dishonest or you know, not the way that God would have us to do things. It's, sometimes it's things that are normal. It's like, oh, everyone does it this way. But these are ways that we can fall into idolatry today. Maybe you're in a job and you know, you're looking to climb up in positions and there's again things that everyone does to get ahead or to make themselves look better, but it's dishonest. It, it makes other employees look bad. It's you know, not the way a person of integrity would live. Those are ways that we can fall into idolatry today. Maybe you're a student and you're tempted to cheat on tests or plagiarize assignments or, you know, do things that aren't supposed to be group work as group work. And you know, some, sometimes you know you'll get away with it. You know there will be no negative consequence to it. But that, again, is a way that we can fall into the same idolatry today. Because that is not what God would have us to do. No matter how impossible it would be for you to get caught, or how normal it is, for everyone else to be doing the exact same thing. We as followers of Jesus are called to stay true to God, even when everything around us seems to be going the other way. 
We are called to stay true to God in the midst of idolatry. We often hear that it's important to always do the right thing because if you don't, it'll always catch up with you later. You'll always regret it. You'll always get caught. And you know, this is true a lot of the time. It's certainly good to keep that in mind. But our motivation cannot simply be the risk of getting caught to be living a life of integrity. Because that's not what integrity is about. Because here's the thing that isn't talked about as much. Sometimes you will never get caught. There are some things, some opportunities you will be presented with that you would never get caught. You know you'd never get caught. You know nobody would ever know if you did that thing, but you also know it's not the right thing to do. Sometimes the thing that you're tempted with, the thing that you know is wrong, might not even be illegal, might not even be a punishable offense, might actually be the way that people would tell you to do that thing in public. But that is where our integrity as believers comes in. Even when no one is looking, even when no one could, would ever know what you did, even when the thing you are doing is normal practice, is what people would say you are supposed to do, if that is not part of the ways of God, if that is not the way that God would have us to live our lives, then we still need to stay true to him. For the church in Pergamum, emperor worship, this very clear act of idolatry and defiance against God, not only was it something that wasn't done in secret, it was the law, they were supposed to do it. Just because it's permissible by the law does not mean that we should be taking part. We as followers of Jesus are called to live lives in service to him in every aspect of our lives. Whether people can see it or whether people can't. Whether there will be a negative consequence in our lives or or if there won't be. Our culture says, you know, do whatever you can to get ahead. Do whatever you can to, to provide for, for your family, to be happy, to just, if you can do it, do it. Try not to get caught, but, but if you can, you should do it. But our God says, trust me. Know my ways are best for you. Know that my ways are good for your future. Know that I have the best intention for you in your lives. It doesn't mean that it won't be hard. It doesn't mean that there won't be difficulties. It doesn't mean that won't be times of struggle. But trust me. So that's my encouragement for us today, for this week, this month, for every day moving forward is to trust in God, even in the midst of idolatry, even when everything around us is moving the other direction, to stay true to the convictions that we have as followers of Jesus and live in the way that he would call us to live, to celebrate the things that he would call us to celebrate, and to make every act that we do an act of worship to God. 
know, just as singing is not the only way we worship, we worship by the way we live our lives, by marking our lives in service to him, by, by every thought and action being surrendered to the will of God and doing as he would have us to do, both in public and in private. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that your word is true. God, thank you that we have your word to guide us in our lives, that we don't need to go through life blind, that we don't need to go through life confused as to what you would have us to do, God. God, I pray that you would strengthen our consciences as believers, God, that your spirit would speak to us constantly. God, that we would know how to separate right from wrong, even when everything around us is, is telling us to do the wrong thing, God, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to recognize and to do your will in this world, God. God, that our lives would be a, a walking signal of who you are in our communities and our job places, God. God, that our lives would be marked by your, your words in both our thoughts and our actions. God, we pray for your strength. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.